What are the common characteristics of churches who are doing an excellent job reaching today's young people? Kara Powell is our guest this week discussing new research from the Fuller Youth Institute about the best ways we can reach and disciple young people. It's all on episode 68 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 68 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week we're talking with Dr. Kara Powell. Dr. Powell is the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute and a faculty member at Fuller Theological Seminary. Christina Today named her as one of the 50 women you should know. She's also the author or co-author of a number of helpful books, including Sticky Faith, Essential Leadership, and Deep Justice in a Broken World. Her forthcoming book, Growing Young, which releases this fall, takes a look at hundreds of churches that are doing a great job of reaching today's youth. And so we wanted to have her back. She, we had an interview with her a year ago, and it was one of our most downloaded episodes ever. So we brought her back to talk about this latest work. And now, here's our conversation with Dr. Kara Powell. Well, Dr. Kara Powell, it is an honor and a privilege to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. Well, it's great to be with you and your listeners, Andrew. You uh, were on the podcast about a year ago, uh, yeah. talking about research that you were doing, and we were so that that was a very well received uh, episode. And so we so good. wanted to have you back on and, and talk about what you're continuing to to release. Great. Well, our team at the Fuller Youth Institute stays busy, so I'm happy to talk about our new research. Yeah, you spent the last decade uh, really looking at how young people can develop a faith that sticks. Uh, the book Sticky Faith that many have have used and been blessed by. As you've been sharing this research with pastors and ministry leaders and parents, what has been the response to some of the things that you've been sharing? Yeah. Well, you know, the reason that we conducted that research is because data shows that about 40 to 50 percent of youth group graduates, so high school students who graduate from great churches like those of your listeners and great families like those of your listeners, about half of young people drift from God and the church after they graduate from high school. And we at the Foley Youth Institute, we're not satisfied with that. And we bet you and your listeners certainly aren't either. So we studied 500 youth group graduates during their first three years of college to try to figure out how families and churches could build faith that lasts or what we call sticky faith. And really what seemed to resonate the most um, as we presented our data over the last handful of years is the power of intergenerational relationships. Um, we looked at 13 different variables to try to see um, which of the typical youth group activities is most correlated with mature faith in both high school and college. And of the 13 different youth group participation variables we looked at, the one that was most correlated was intergenerational relationships and worship. In other words, not keeping children and teenagers off by themselves, but having them really be part of the overall congregation. And one of the ways that we encourage uh, parents and leaders to think about this is a term that my friend and colleague Chuck Clark coined, where um, we need to reverse the five to one ratio. So a lot of times we as leaders, we think about Bible studies coming up, small groups, retreats, and we think we want one adult for every five kids. Well, what we're saying out of our research is let's reverse that and let's have five adults for each young person. Five adults who are, as we say in our family to our own three kids, five adults who are on your team, who are supporting you, praying for you, who are there for you. So of, of everything we learned about Sticky Faith, that's probably the one that has most uh, got the attention and interest and captured the imagination of leaders and parents. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us more about, um, I know in this new resource uh, called Growing Young, yeah. you're beginning to dive into the churches that are doing this really well. 
Yeah. Um, tell us about kind of the churches that you guys studied in this new work. Yeah. So Growing Young is a result of four years of research. Um, and we identified, thanks to national leaders and denominational leaders, we identified 250 congregations that are doing amazing work nationwide with 15 to 29-year-olds. So that's high school students, college-age students, and then young adults or emerging adults. Um, and we spent three years, really four years, studying them. We surveyed them. We did over 1,300 interviews. We did site visits at some of these churches. And what we're thrilled about, Andrew, is uh, the amazing diversity in these churches. You know, before I started the, the study, and I worked very closely with Jake Mulder and Brad Griffin, who co-authored the books uh, Growing Young with me. Before we started the study, I was a little concerned that the churches were going to be somewhat homogeneous but that was not the case. I mean, God is working in amazing congregations of various sizes. The, the churches that emerged as doing great work and are growing young range from 200 to 10,000 people. Um, these churches were various ages, anywhere from five years old to over 100 years old. Some of them had strong denominational ties. Others were non-denominational. There were urban, rural, suburban. Um, over half of the churches in our study were not predominantly white. So we're just thrilled um, with the chance we've had to study these 250 congregations and try to figure out how young people can discover and love um, any church. I mean, that, that's the good news about this research is for your listeners that, you know, there's, there's a church in our study who is like theirs. Um, and so any church can find helpful ideas and stories based on um, what we've looked at in churches growing young. And I know you were looking at churches that have been doing things right, that have been yeah. have really yeah. engaged youth. So talk about how you determined, like, man, this is this is a church that's doing things well. Yeah, good question. Well, first off, it was nominated by uh, denominational as well as national leaders. And what we told these leaders is we're interested in churches um, that fall into one or both of two categories. Either there's something special happening numerically um, so, you know, they're drawing a huge amount of young people, or the church is really growing overall, um, or the church has really turned a corner numerically, so there's some kind of numerical growth, or, and, and, or, there's just something special happening in this church that maybe isn't resulting in numerical growth yet, but they're doing creative things with young people, and they're growing in the process. So, um, and then once those churches were identified by others for us, then we surveyed um, young people at those churches and made sure that there was sufficient faith maturity um, for uh, them to be included in this study. So, you know, we really tried to define growing young churches in a lot of ways, but um, sometimes it was numerical growth. Other times there was just a qualitative growth that maybe hadn't yet led to numerical growth. Mm -hmm. And let's dive into some of the things that you found. Um, yeah. The book takes a look at six core commitments that these churches have. Um, can you talk about one of those commitments that kind of rose to the top, um, that things that these churches are doing well? Well, gosh, that's kind of like asking me to choose my favorite child. Because <laughs> <laughs> all six of the core commitments are really important. Um, but I'll, I'll start with the first one. How's that? that so sounds good. I, I won't say it's the best or my favorite, but it, it happens to be the first one. And what I mean, we, put, we placed it first because... When we looked at how these churches tended to progress through the six core commitments, they typically started with this first one. The most common order chronologically was to start with this first one. And it has to do with leadership, um, but it's a specific kind of leadership and maybe a counterintuitive kind of leadership. 
you know, so often we think that a leader needs to be really um, strong and charismatic, or maybe in order to engage teenagers and young adults, a leader needs to be particularly hip or cool. Um, well, none of that is what we found. I mean, sure, there were some strong and hip leaders in the study, but they were by no means the majority. Instead, the leader that we found that was most important to help churches start on the journey toward growing young was a leader that we call is a keychain leader. And this is a leader who uh, has, realizes that they have certain keys of authority and power, not talking literal keys, but more metaphorical keys of authority and power. And they are, as young people are ready for them, they are taking those keys off their keychain and handing them to young people so that young people can learn to develop their gifts their talents and really be part of the vision and ongoing work of the congregation. So um, it starts with leadership. And, you know, to be honest, Andrew, part of me wanted it to not start with leadership. I love the priesthood of all believers. And so part of me wanted it to be more bottom up and, you know, groundswell from below. But, you know, for, for your listeners, I know many of whom are church leaders their role is so important. It usually started with a leader who had a vision for young people and was willing to empower them. And sometimes that meant even losing some of their own authority and power because they were handing those keys over to a teenager or a young adult. Wow. I really like that. And another point that just kind of jumped out to me as I was reading through this yeah. is the relational component, the relational yeah. warmth. Can yeah. you talk about what you guys found in terms of relational warmth? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love talking about this. Uh, when we asked young people in these 250 congregations that are growing young to describe their church, the number one term they used to describe their church was, it's like family. It's like family. And if you think about young people today, they're often struggling in their family situation. And so they're hungry for the church family that can step in and be their tribe. Um, you know, and these churches, some of them were hip. And cool, but just like we talked about with leaders, by no means that wasn't true of the majority of them. Uh, and so one of the senior pastors that we talked with during the course of our research, he gave us a great phrase that we love, and it's this, warm is the new cool. When it comes to young people today, warm is the new cool. And uh, that was very vividly demonstrated for us at a church we studied in Pennsylvania, and we were doing a site visit there. And before we did a site visit, we talked to a, a bunch of young people there, um, and they told us about this amazing adult, Bill, who really invested in them and loved them and showed up at their games and showed up at their plays and recitals, etc. Well, we get to the church and we find out that Bill is in his 70s. And Bill is someone who came from a really tough adolescence himself. And he remembers going to major events in his life and there weren't necessarily adults cheering him on in the stands. And so Bill has made it his mission that no kid from that church is going to show up at a game, is going to show up at a major event in their life without an adult cheering them on in the stands. So a lot of times that's Bill, but Bill's wisely recruiting other adults, often other senior adults, to know about kids' events, to be part of that intergenerational five-to-one team we talked about a few moments ago, and to cheer them on in the stands. Um, so, you know, Bill's not particularly hip, but he is warm. And Bill exemplifies this principle that for young people today, warm is the new cool. Well, I really like that. And I think it does make so much sense that the kids are looking for people they can trust, people that yeah. care for them and love them. Yep. Um, I love that example. And let's talk about the message. Um, a lot of times I feel like youth pastors feel like 
in order to reach youth, we have to, you know, have a certain type of message or there's some things we can emphasize that other things we can't talk about what you found out about, about the message that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've already touched on leadership and warmth and those are two of our six core commitments. So I'm glad you're asking about another one, which is the gospel message. And, um, you know, probably the best way that I can describe what we found in churches is to talk about a young woman we interviewed. She was in her 20s and she took us to school as faculty at Fuller Seminary because, you know, maybe eight or so Fuller faculty members had been involved in designing this questionnaire and pretty sophisticated. And we had reviewed all the questions, et cetera, signed off on them. And so this 24-year-old was being interviewed uh, by phone, and and as the interviewer was working through the questions, one of the questions was, how would you define Christianity? And this young woman at a church that was growing young said, well, um, I I don't really know how to define Christianity, but can I tell you who Jesus is and what Jesus means in my life? Um, And, you know, that was kind of her drop-the-mic moment in many ways, because she called out, something that before our research, we were a little bit blind to, which is that these churches are offering what young people are most in their core, in their depths, hungry for, and that is to encounter Jesus. These churches are ruthless in teaching about Jesus. Um, And, you know, Christianity, it sometimes, especially for young people, can feel a little bit awkward or maybe a little bit confusing. But Jesus is always magnetic. And so one of the core commitments we're recommending to leaders out of our research is you reflect back on your teaching. You know, think about what you've done in the last week, what you've done in the last month. How much have you talked about Jesus? How have you talked about Jesus? Um, it's, It's so easy to lose sight, ironically, of Jesus in the midst of being a Christian leader and young people, that's what they're ultimately hungry for. So, so be ruthless in focusing on Jesus in our teaching and in our messages. Well, I like that. And I think it is easy for us to, to slide off. Did you see churches that, that maybe were emphasizing other things? And, and kind of, or what are the things that, if I'm a youth pastor, I need to think, man, I need to be careful that I don't slip into this thing other than Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> One of my colleagues at Fuller has said something that I can't stop thinking about. And he said, you know, if you were to uh, summarize the typical sermon, the typical youth group talk, the typical Bible study in the U.S. today, you could perhaps summarize it in two words, and it's these two words, try harder. And I think in our well-intentioned effort, and I'll speak personally, in my well-intentioned efforts as a youth pastor, as a small group leader, as a volunteer at my church currently, to, you know, help my teaching be, quote, relevant, end quote, I've ended up often focusing on behaviors and encouraging followers of Jesus to live up to the do's and don'ts of scripture without helping them realize that the reason that they have the strength and the ability to live out those do's and don'ts is because of the Jesus who is in them and the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, what separates Christianity from every other religion is grace. So these churches, in the midst of doing radical things in their cities, and involved in global service. I mean, don't get me wrong. These churches were active churches. Um, They were not living in what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. I mean, they understood the radical life of what it means to live out the do's and don'ts of scripture, but it was always centered or grounded in a sense of who Jesus is. In fact, one of the churches in our study, Fellowship Memphis, they're very committed to multicultural, multi-ethnic 
uh, multiracial ministry and community. And so in a city that, in a, in a state that can be pretty ethnically and racially divided, they're all about racial reconciliation and, and interracial relationships and friendships and community. And so we showed up and asked them, you know, so your, your church, you're really about racial reconciliation, right? And they said, no, we're about the gospel. We're about the message of Jesus. And because of what we know about Jesus, that overflows in our commitment to racial reconciliation. So, you know, right there is a snapshot of a church that was doing radical activity, shall we say, and actions, but it was always done in the name of Jesus and with an undergirding sense of the gospel. I think that's so powerful, and it's something that we can need to constantly be reminded of because it is easy to for Christianity to become a list of do's and don'ts, especially yeah. with our youth. Yeah, you know, and D- Dallas Willard had a great term for that. He called that the gospel of sin management, you know, mm. a gospel of behavioralism. Christian Smith, a wonderful researcher, has called it moralistic therapeutic deism. So, you know, there's plenty of research and uh, theologians and philosophers who are confirming that, you know, that sadly, the Christian church here, we've, we've gotten a little bit off center in trying to make the gospel, quote, practical, and then it becomes behavioral instead of grace-centered. So, you know, these churches that we studied that were growing young, they understood what I try to tell my own children, who are 16, uh, 13, and 10, you know, I try to tell them we obey as a great big thank you note for what God has done for us. So do I want my kids to be involved in the do's and the don'ts of scripture? You bet I do. But I want them to know that just like John 15 teaches us, it's as we abide in Jesus that we bear much fruit. Mm, So good. And another phrase that really jumped out at me as I was reviewing this work is um, you use the phrase prioritize young people everywhere. Yeah. As if I'm a senior pastor, what what does it look like for me to prioritize young people everywhere? Yeah, yeah. And so this is a fourth of our sixth core commitments is how important it is for churches to prioritize young people. And one of the ways that we think about it is inordinate prioritization. Um, and in many ways, this is the hinge point for the churches that were growing young. Other churches can do some of what we've talked about. You know, they can emphasize Jesus, they can be warm, etc. But in order to really engage young people, it means that we have to prioritize them. Um, you know, sometimes that means budget for churches or staffing structure, but in a more core level, and this is what I've said to my own church here in Pasadena, California, out of our research, I would just love that one of our top five questions would be, how does this relate to what God's doing in our young people? So, you know, as we're planning Easter, as we're planning Christmas, as we're planning next summer short-term missions trips, uh, we're always thinking, how does this relate to young people? Um, One of the churches in the study that, that I got to visit is this amazing, uh, predominantly Latino church here in Los Angeles that it, it was funny, Andrew, it's, it's a Baptist church, but I'll tell you, it was the most Pentecostal Baptist church that I've ever been to. <laughs> um, and this Latino church, they realized that young people were often not engaging well in their worship services because they were all in Spanish. And so this, this Latino church and the Latino leaders, as, as well as the adults, they said, you know what, in order to reach the next generation, we need to integrate more English into our worship services. Some of these adults making this decision, they don't even really understand English all that well, but they are willing to have parts of their worship service be in a language they don't fully understand, or they're trying to learn English themselves in order to engage young people, because that's the prioritization they put on young people. So, you know, I just love that snapshot of a church literally learning a new language 
in order to love and serve teenagers and young adults. So, and you know, one of our um, colleagues, Jake Mulder, the, one of the co-authors of the book, he and I were just talking about this this morning that, you know, when it comes to prioritization, in essence, what we're saying is we want out of our research, uh, we suggest that churches, if you think about a church, like a pie that churches give teenagers and young adults an inordinately large piece of that pie. Um, and, you know, we went into our research thinking, well, if teenagers and young adults get a big piece of pie, then the rest of the pie suffers. You know, that's going to mean senior adult ministry suffers or men's ministry or women's ministry or even children's ministry suffers. But that's not what we found. And I mean, Andrew, we pressed on this. We kept asking leaders, when you prioritize young people, who suffers? And they said, basically unanimously across the country, they said, no one suffers. Everybody gains. You know, when we give teenagers and young adults a big piece of the pie, it's like the pie gets bigger. Um, and young people add so much to our congregation. So, you know, that's one of the amazing uh, byproducts of prioritizing young people that was far greater than we even hoped for, is how overall emphasizing young people helped the church to thrive. Wow. I think that there's a lot of pastors smiling right now listening Talk about things that you were that you found that churches don't need to to do or emphasize yeah. to draw yeah. young people. Yeah. So in addition to the six core commitments, we've identified uh, ten attributes that churches don't need in order to succeed with young people. And this is kind of our mythbuster section in the book um, because you know I think a lot of us, I know I was walking around with certain preconceptions of what you have to have in order to engage young people. And what our data shows is those preconceptions aren't necessarily true. Now, I'm going to mention some things, and if a church happens to have those things, then then that's great. Sometimes it can be really helpful. What we want to say to churches across the country and leaders across the country, the good news is these things aren't essential. So they can be helpful, but they aren't essential. You know, and that includes a big budget. There were a lot of churches on a very shoestring budget, and they were doing great work with young people because they were warm and they were focused on the Jesus message, all the things we've talked about. You don't need a modern building. I mean, sure, some of the churches we studied had amazing, you know, jaw-dropping, drool-over-yourself kind of facilities. But a lot of churches were meeting in schools or kind of mediocre uh, church buildings, they often had a special space for young people. And that seemed more important to young people than the quality of the space was that there was a special place for them. You don't have to have a particular denominational affiliation or lack thereof. You don't have to be in a particular location. You know, we found churches in urban, rural, and suburban uh, geographies that were doing amazing work. Um, so you don't have to have cool programs. You don't have to have you don't necessarily have to have, this might be the biggest mythbuster of all, you don't necessarily have to have contemporary or modern worship. You know, most of the churches we studied offered a large degree of, of their ministry offerings with some contemporary or modern worship, but by no means all. So, you know, if that's what you feel like God's calling your church to, awesome. But don't feel like that's an absolute requirement in order to grow young. Well, that's so good. And I think that gives a lot of freedom to those who are thinking about this next generation, because there are a lot of myths out there, things yeah. floating around. Yeah. As a result of your your research, if there is one practical tip you could give to, you know, pastors and youth pastors, like, here's something you could do this week to, to grow young. Yeah. You know, I've been in ministry for over 20 years and still love volunteering at our church. And my husband is on the deacon board at our church. We love our church. 
And as I think about my leadership over the years, a lot of times I felt like I was guessing about what to do, or I was making assumptions about what young people needed and what our church was like. And out of our research, we're just so hungry to help leaders move beyond assumptions and move beyond guesswork. So our suggestion for the first step is that people visit our website, churchesgrowingyoung.com, and take a free assessment that can help you look at your church through the lens of these six core commitments and get immediate results on how you're doing. It's only 18 questions developed by some of our best faculty here at Fuller, 18 questions, free assessment, and any leader who takes this will get a, an automatic analysis of their church with some, some suggestions on where they can focus and what are some good next steps based on how they align with the six core commitments. So, uh, you know, I took it for my own church the day that it went live on our website. And um, it was really helpful for me. And, you know, of course, I've been involved in designing the questions all along, but I wanted to have the, the website experience like your listeners will. So, so this is a free, short, simple assessment at churchesgrowingyoung.com. Awesome. And we'll link to that assessment as well in the show notes for this episode. Great and a link to the book as well. Karis, thanks so much for talking to us today. I'm so excited about this book being in the hands of, of so many leaders that are going to be blessed by it and bless uh, the youth all over in result. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And Andrew, thanks to you and your team for all you're doing to equip church leaders. Thanks again to Kara Powell for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and also consider sending this episode to somebody you know who might benefit from listening to it. Also, make sure to download the show notes for this episode and every episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In the show notes, we always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve the podcast or guests that you'd love to hear us talk to, email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.